Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's talk about the day of the Lord and living in view of Christ's return. Paul wrote, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when you say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. When we were kids, we lived in the parsonage across the street from the church. It had a very big yard and a parking lot adjacent to the house. And it was sort of the gathering place for the kids in the neighborhood. And one of our favorite games was to play, and you may never have heard of it, we called it kick the can. Now, it was also fun to put a brick in the can every now and then, but that, I won't tell you about all that. But a person was it. The person who had to go seeking everybody, everyone else would go hide. And you can, you can remember that if you were it, you would hide your eyes and you'd start counting whether it was to 100, to 50, to 100. And, and if you were running to hide, you could hear them counting 1, 2, 19, 35, 36. And finally, when they got to the number that they were going to, they would stop and say, ready or not, here I come. Now, several things were for sure. They were surely coming. And he was coming because he was ready. He was coming whether you were ready or not. And if you were not ready, then you were going to be the next person that was it, probably. Well, the Bible, time after time after time, says, ready or not, here he comes. We don't know for sure when he's coming, but did you know 27% of the Bible is prophecy? And in the Old Testament, there are over 1,800 references to the, to the return of Jesus. In the New Testament, of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the return of Jesus. One out of every 30 verses talks about the second coming. 23 of the 27 New Testament books 
give prominence to the second coming of Jesus. And I've told you before, for every one promise or prophecy concerning the first coming of Jesus, there are eight prophecies concerning the second coming of Jesus. Now, in spite of this biblical data, many of us are so familiar with end times teaching and we've heard it all our life that Jesus is coming. If we're not careful, we begin to tune that out sort of like you do your alarm clock on the morning. Unless you're, you know, I see a lot of folks the same color hair as mine and you, if you're like me, you wake up before the alarm clock. I don't remember the last time my alarm clock went off because it seems like I'm looking at the clock every 30 minutes during the night. But you get used to an alarm clock, you can hit the snooze button, go right back to sleep and not think anything about it. Well, a lot of people are that way about the second coming of Jesus. They can just sort of be lulled to sleep and, and not think about it. But Paul mentions here, right after that passage in, in the chapter four that we looked at last week talking about the rapture. Well, now he talks about the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord Jesus. And there are some things that we need to be doing while we're waiting for him to come. How do you live thinking about the second coming of Jesus? Well, first of all, you've got to have an expectant attitude. You're expecting him to come. Now, you probably didn't get up this morning thinking, well, I expect the Lord to return today. No, you were probably getting ready and y'all were expecting something else maybe, but you may not have thought about the Lord coming actually today. And in, in this attitude, there are three elements to it. First of all, he talks about the sureness of his coming. In verse one, he says, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, I want you to notice that little phrase the times and seasons. It's the same what Jesus said. He, he, he talked about in the period of time when that, that period of time when he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, you know, he would appear and disappear with the disciples. And one of those times when he appeared to the disciples, they said, Lord, will you now at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? That's in Acts 1, 6. And they were asking this question, is this the time when you will fulfill the predictions and the prophecies that Israel will be the chief of nations and the Messiah will reign personally upon the earth? And listen to what Jesus said in verse seven. It's not for you to know times or seasons. Same phrase that Paul used right here. Uh, he said, it's, the father has fixed that day by his own authority. Now the day of the Lord is a period of time in which God will deal with wicked people directly and dramatically in times of judgment. Today, people can blaspheme God, atheists can shake their fist in God's face, they can denounce God, they can teach bad doctrine, and it seems like God doesn't do anything. But the day's coming when that won't be the case. The day, the day designated as the day of the Lord is coming when God is going to punish sin. Those whose sins 
have not been atoned for by Jesus Christ. They have no covering. They have no defense. And the word day in the Bible is used in various ways. Sometimes we talk about it just being daylight. It's day instead of night. Obviously, we also talk about it being a 24-hour period. Or actually, we talk about it, well, it could be it one day is 24 hours. Or sometimes we talk about it being from just after dawn until sunset when there's daylight. The Jewish day started at sunset and went all the way to sunset the next day. But here the day of the Lord is used in the sense of an extended period of time. When you talk about the days of your youth, you're not talking about you were a youth one day. You're talking about an extended period of the time. Here, the day of the Lord is a series of events that probably is going to lead right into the millennial reign of Jesus. But there's going to come a time that we call the tribulation period a a series of events, several years here of tribulation and judgment. And there will be some people saved during that time because there are going to be a lot of Jewish people who've been saved who are going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ during that time. But it, it means a series of events. And it's worth noting that the word translated, you know perfectly, in verse two, for you yourselves know perfectly indicates that the Thessalonians gained the knowledge of the day of the Lord from Paul's teaching from the Old Testament, his accurate teaching. No, perfectly means pointed. Paul pointedly expounded the truth and they paid close attention to the details. That's why he said, you know perfectly, I've told you from the scripture that the day of the Lord is going to come. Now the rapture that, I call it the rapture passage there, chapter four, verse 13 to 18, right before this passage, describes two things. It describes the closing of one day. And what is that day? The day of the church, the day of grace, the day when, when the gospel's still being shed, spread. And that day closes when the rapture occurs. Church is taken out. And then there's another day coming, Then right in chapter five, the day of the Lord is going to come. Another period of time. Now, a second part of this expectant attitude is the surprise of his coming. He mentions a thief in the night in verse two. And then in verse four, he mentions it again as a thief. You should not be overcome as a thief would overcome you. The question is not if Jesus will return, but when will he come? And he compared the time of the Lord's return to a thief in the night. You know, a thief plans his entry at a time when you least expect it. Now, I can tell you from experience, it doesn't have to be in the night Back in the summer when it was so hot, I had my garage door open about this tall. In case y'all can't see, about this tall. (laughs) On Friday morning, 
That's the day I try to take off unless I have funerals and other things. Laura and I were at home. And a thief not only came once, but he came twice. Parked his truck in the alley, slid under the door, took $1,000 worth of tools out of my garage. I caught him. I didn't catch him there. I got him, had him on film and turned it into the police and they know who it is, but it doesn't help you get your stuff back. But had I known he was out there, I don't think I would have been watching for him. He came when I least expected it. In fact, you're not going to find my garage door open anymore. Why did you lock your door last night when you went to bed? Were you expecting somebody to come? Well, you did it because thieves normally come in the night. And Jesus said, of that day, no one knows the hour, not even the angels of heaven. Therefore, you be ready. This is in Matthew 24. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. And then in verse 3, it even says, even when people are saying, peace and safety. I got amused. I didn't watch a lot of news. I've quit watching a lot of news. I'm just telling you. And my blood pressure's gone down. I get just enough to know what's going on, but I'm not going to watch it 24-7. I'm just not. But what few little excerpts I saw today, I thought maybe Jesus came today. I got worried. I thought I'd been left behind. Matthew 24, 37 says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all the way. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said this, Matthew 24, 37 and 38. In the last days... All is going to seem to be normal. Things are going to be going on. And when people least expect it, that's when Jesus will come. Or that's when the rapture will occur. Now, is there anything wrong with eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage? Obviously not. That's normal everyday life. But Jesus said in the moment when everything seems to be proceeding normally, suddenly... The destructive judgment of God will fall. Jesus didn't stop there. Also, in Luke 17, 28, he said, Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. It's normal everyday life. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and brimstone rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 28. Did you notice in those two examples that Jesus used in the days of Noah and the days of Lot? Where was Noah when the flood came? He'd already been in the ark a week. He had disappeared from society and the judgment of God came. Where was Lot? When fire and brimstone fell on Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, he was out. 
Well, the same thing's gonna happen for us. The church's gonna be taken out and then the judgment of God's gonna fall. In Matthew 24, in the famous Olivet Discourse, as we call it, Jesus added these words. He said, two men will be in the field. One is taken, one is left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One is taken and one is left. And the parallel passage in Luke says, two men will be asleep and one will be taken and the other left. Now you've got people that are asleep and people grinding at the mill and each of them are taken. How can that be? Because it's, when it's night here, it's daylight on the other side of the world, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be a worldwide phenomenon. And then he adds these words in Matthew 24. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Most of us don't get up in the morning thinking the Lord could return today. It's going to be a surprise. Fortunately, we're going to be on the good end of that surprise. But for those who don't know Jesus, it's going to be a horrible surprise. There's a third part of this expecting, expectant attitude. And, and to remember the sentence at his coming. Verse 3 says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. The Old Testament gives many warnings of this. And Paul had taught the Thessalonians about this and they understood that. Again, let me go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. He says, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. There's no escape. This time, there's no place to hide. Paul gives an analogy here. He compares it to a woman who's about to give birth. I remember when Laura was expecting our first child. And that first one, we, we learned a lot of new terminology. I, I'd, never, I'd never even heard the term Braxton Hicks. False labor is what that stands for. Well, you know, every time when you men understand, you know, every time they have a pain, is it time to go? We're ready to go. And ladies, you know, I, that's something that we don't know about, but you know that you've, you have lots of movement and things going on before that baby comes. When, that, when it's time, it's time. I remember my aunt who lives in Oklahoma told me that when, when she was headed to the hospital for, with the first baby, and she said, I was thinking on the way, I'm not real sure if I want to go through this or not. <laughs> then she said, like I had a choice in the matter. Well, the same is true the day of the Lord. When God's judgment is poured out on this earth, no one's going to escape. 
Now, you and I are not going to be here. I'm going to show you here in just a minute, but the world is not going to escape the tribulation period. If you're not taken in the rapture, you're going through the tribulation. And the only way to escape that is to know the Lord Jesus Christ today. If you've committed your life to him, you gave your life by faith to Jesus, he lives in you, you're prepared, you don't have to worry, you got a ticket out of here. Now, in living with the view toward Christ's coming, we've got to have an expectant attitude. We need to live with the idea, God, he could come today. And these people that we know that aren't ready, we need to be a little more specific in telling them about it. The second part of this living with, in, with a view toward Christ's coming, there's got to be explicit actions. Verse four says, but you brethren, you're not in darkness. You know better so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. But you, brethren, it's very emphatic. In contrast to these people who are not prepared, you're prepared. And you need to be living like you know better. The reason that some believers... The, the reason that people are not ready is because they're in the darkness. But he says, you are believers. You are of the light and of the day. Now, notice he did not say you are in the light and in the day. He said, you're of the light. Instead of speaking about what they do, he's saying, realize who you are. Jesus is the light of the world. You have given your life to him. He lives in you. You are of the light. You are of God. You're, you're uh, a child of God. And notice the word all in verse 5. You are all, every Christian, every child of God who has professed Jesus Christ is of the light and of the day. One of the reasons for presenting the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus is that gives us a motive to live for him. If you don't know when he's coming, have you ever thought about what you're going to be doing when he comes again? I can tell you there were times in my life I've been in some situations, been some places when I was in college. I wasn't that rebellious, but there were a couple of places I shouldn't have been. And I thought, Lord, please don't return now while I'm here. It didn't take me long to get convicted about it. Well, when you think about these actions, the first action is to be seriously aware of what's going on. If you were in the military and you ever had to do guard duty, you were told to be awake, to be sober, to stay alert. Here's that picture. He, he's saying that you should not be asleep, verse 6, as others do. Watch, stay alert, 
Watch, it means to stay awake or be vigilant. His command was in the present tense, which means continuously stay awake about this. Don't be lulled to sleep by the world. Remember Jesus is coming back. And there's a reason for that because it gives you hope. There are lots of gloom, despair, and agony on me sung today. But the hope I have is not in the government. Hope I have is in Jesus. We all know that there are Morning people and evening people. Are you a morning person? There are, I'm, I'm more of a morning person than I am an evening person. Spiritually, we're called to be morning people, not literally in the morning, but people of the light and not be a spiritual sleepwalker. To be awake, to be wide awake with, and, and not let your standards down. Don't slip into the low standards and the loose morality of the world. Here, here's some down-to-earth advice on how to live in the present. He said, don't go to sleep. Now, he's not talking about physical. He's talking about spiritual. That, that's the word I'd like to give you on Sunday. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> However, in my older age, I'm becoming more mellow. If you can leave refreshed, then I guess that's a good thing. So if you need to, if you're not sleeping at home and you need to come in here and rest, well, you just come on in here and rest. (laughs) The purpose in our life, as long as we have breath, we're to use our abilities for the Lord's work. The word sober means exactly what it is in the English. In the Greek, it means not being intoxicated. And here, it could go further than just what you get intoxicated by alcohol. Don't get intoxicated with the world. The world has a lot of parking places, and they're not all good. Don't be enamored by this glamour and its pleasures and its appearance. Paul's message to these Thessalonians that, look, you're watching for the coming of the Lord. Don't lose the seriousness of that. Doesn't mean that you're one of those um, uh, mad, unhappy people all the time. There's a seriousness about your life. You're still enjoying life. You still have an abundant life. But you know, you just know every day we're getting closer and closer and closer. And we're closer than we've ever been. To be sober does not mean to be grim or humorless or never take any, have any fun, but take it seriously to the point that even when what you're doing, you're buying up every opportunity, as Ephesians 5.16 says, because the days are evil. Take advantage when you have an opportunity to share the fact that Jesus is coming again, that, that people are not ready. People may, not, may or may not listen to you, but at least we are the ones that are going to be aware that he's coming. He's coming. Another part of this action is to stand apart. Verse 7, for those who sleep at, sleep at night and those who get drunk or drunk at night, The warning is that you don't allow yourself to be influenced by the world's lack of standards and lack of morality and be oblivious to spiritual matters. That as a drunkard who's passed out and oblivious to the world, so is the uncontrolled sinner passed out spiritually. There are specific things that have no part in the Christian life. 
It's not legalism. Quit throwing that word up there. It's called a life in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will not lead you to look like you're living in darkness. Spiritually speaking, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you in that kind of... He does not lead you into immorality. He does not lead you into the darkness. The sad thing is that research teams like Barna and Gallup have shown that there's no longer any difference between the behavior of Christians and non-Christians. In fact, some, some of the cases have shown that Christians are actually more immoral and unethical than many non-Christians are. Now that's in generalities and I don't expect everybody to be like that. And then also, I'm not so sure some of them are real Christians because I wanna tell you, if you're a child of God, you cannot live in sin indefinitely without just being miserable. There's a chastening hand of God. Just like you love your children enough to discipline them and chasten them to help mold them and guide them, you, you didn't, there's a difference in that in punishment and wrath. I'm just gonna beat you just because you did something wrong. No, you're gonna be disciplined or it may feel like punishment, but there's a reason you're doing this so that you'll head down the right direction. Well, the Lord sometimes disciplines us. Paul's point is that our behavior should not be characterized by sinfulness of the world. There are some places you just don't go. There's some places, there's some things you just don't do. There's some speech you just don't use. You look, you look different. The word sober means to be seriously minded and There's a third part, it's to be spiritually armored, or armed, I guess I'd say. You put on the breastplate of love and faith. Now, the way this verb is written, aorist tense means it happens at a point in time. Middle voice means the action comes to you. You don't put it on, it's put on you at a point in time, once and for all, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Who puts that on you? The Lord does. God does through Jesus Christ. And so faith protects our heart. We live by faith. We live spiritually. We remain spiritually stable in a spiritual war because of our faith in the Lord. Folks, don't lose your faith. You're not gonna lose it. You're not gonna lose your salvation But keep your faith in the Lord. Keep your faith in the Lord. If you have to get up every morning saying, remember, I trust the Lord today. I trust the Lord today. Well, no matter what bad news is shared with you, I trust the Lord today. To be armed. And love is the other side of the breastplate. Our faith must result in love. And then he talks about the helmet of the hope of salvation. This protects our mind and produces clear thinking. What is the hope of our salvation? It's the reality that no matter what happens on this earth, we're going home one day. And, and, and 2 Corinthians says that when we get home to heaven, we're going to compare the sufferings of this present age to the glory that we're going to see up there and we're going to go. That really wasn't that big a deal. Why was I so worked up about that? 
It was worth every part of it. It didn't really last that long. Seems like it's forever, but if you think about it, if you live to be 100 years old, that doesn't even measure in eternity. Seems like forever, but it's really not. It's not even close. Paul's telling us there's a moral value to the second coming of Jesus. There are certain standards that go with that truth. And while we wait for his return, we're still in a world of spiritual darkness and spiritual war. Yeah, we may lose some of our freedoms. I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime or not. There's a battle raging all around us, a battle for the hearts and minds of men and women, a battle for our culture, a battle for our nation. Every Christian is a soldier. And so in short, if you think about it, in verse six, what's he say? Wake up. And in verse seven, he says, clean up. Watch how you're living. And in verse eight, he says, dress up. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. Listen, that'll preach. There's your good sermon right there. Wake up, clean up, and dress up. Isn't that what we do every morning? <laughs> okay, let me move on. The third part of living with the expectancy of Christ coming is the in, we need to give each other this encouraging assurance in verse nine and 10. Now, I told you why I believe we're not going to be here during the tribulation. I I know not everybody agrees with me. Uh, I have friends who don't agree with me, and I tell them, if you want to stay during the tribulation, you just go right ahead. I'm not. (laughs) But this verse right here, verse 9, this is one that you stand on right here. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now, two things you need to to encourage that are encouraging. You are protected. What is our destiny? Not to the wrath of God. You're not going to face the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus has already done it for you. He took that wrath on the cross for you and died for you. This isn't a reference to hell. Some people say, well, that's a reference that Christians aren't going to go to hell. No, that's not. In this passage, Paul's thinking of the terrible destruction that's coming during that seven-year tribulation period. It's the wrath associated with the coming day of the Lord. It's the sudden destruction that will come upon the entire world. And why should a child of God's grace, who's saved by grace, who's kept by grace, who has all the wonderful promises of God, be forced to go through a period which, according to the scripture, is expressly designed as a time of judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world? It's just not there. We've been delivered. You have not been appointed to wrath. If you think about it, the rapture is a beautiful picture of grace. I'm taking you out of here. 
Just like Lot was sent out of Sodom and Gomorrah, just like Noah was put in the ark before the judgment came, Christians are going to be taken out. The restrainer, who is the restrainer? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this world is restraining a lot of evil. But when the Holy Spirit's taken out, there's no restrainer anymore. The second encouraging assurance is that you are prepared. Verse 10 says, or verse 9, you obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You did not get it through the church. A lot of our Catholic friends think the church has the power to bestow salvation. God God didn't give that to the church. He gave us the responsibility of sharing the source and hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. But God didn't give anybody on this earth the power, not even the Pope. Pope doesn't have any more power spiritually than you do. And I'm not being ugly. I'm just being biblical. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. When those seals are broken in Revelation, beginning in chapter 5, 4, 5, and 6, those four horsemen ride across the earth when the trumpets blow and when the bowls of God's judgment are emptied on this earth, the world is going to be caught totally unprepared. But you and I aren't going to be because we're not going to be here. We're going to be with the Lord. Safe. We'll be delivered. We'll be rescued. We'll be raptured. And so the last activity in these 11 verses is an edifying activity. We're to comfort each other, encourage one another. Correct doctrine always encourages people at least believers, it convicts sinners to salvation in Jesus, but the word edify originally meant in the Greek to build a house. But the idea is to build up one another, encourage one another. Listen, you better start learning to love these folks because you're going to be with them a long time. (laughs) In fact, no time, forever. To use the building metaphor means you lay a foundation of discipleship and you construct a life built on God's word. It's also worth noting that the terms translated encourage and build up are in the present tense. Aorist tense at a point in time. Present tense means continuous action. You keep on building up each other. You keep on edifying. You keep on discipling. You keep on encouraging And they're not suggestions. They're written in the imperative tense. Not tense, but the imperative form, which means it's a command. Keep on encouraging one another. And you know how one way, just one way you do it? Listen to Hebrews 10, 24, and 5. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but, listen to this, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
Some of you haven't been able to come in a long time and, and please hear my heart. I understand and I don't want you coming until you're comfortable doing that. But isn't it good to be with some people? I tell you what, there are footprints on the walls of my office and home where I've been trying to climb them. After a while, you, you have to be around people. And it's not that, you, it's, it's not that you're that, that good looking. I'm just glad there's somebody here. And you look beautiful. I'm just teasing you. You look wonderful. I, I, it's just there's something about the fellowship of believers and building up. And I, to, another way that you do this is not only through the, through the assembling together, but the just hanging out with believers. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, somebody walks in this room who is just putting one foot in front of the other. They've just about had it. And we never know who it's going to be. And we're to encourage each other. I know that right now we have to be careful in the way we're interacting with each other. But in a normal day, when church is over, sometimes just look around you and see if anybody's alone or might just need an encouraging word. Something as simple as, how are you today? I, I don't know that I know you. My name is so-and-so. Um, you, you never know how one encouraging word can go so far. There was an Idaho businessman by the name of Don Bennett he was the first amputee to climb Mount Rainier. That's 14,410 feet. He had one leg and two crutches. Now, during the climb, there's a difficult portion of the climb where Bennett and his team had to cross an ice field, not flat, but up. And the other team members had to put spikes on their boots in order to prevent slipping and digging into the ice for leverage and stability. But unfortunately, Don Bennett just had one leg, so he just had one shoe and no spikes on crutches. And so about all he could do was to lean forward and try to get a grip and pull himself and stand back up and fall forward and to get up this mountain. It took him four hours to get across that ice field. His daughter, his teenage daughter, Kathy, happened to be with him. And when she saw what was happening to her dad, she stayed right by his side through the entire four-hour struggle and kept shouting in his ear, you can do it, Dad. You're the best dad in the world. You can do it, Dad. And Kathy Bennett's belief in her father and her verbal encouragement touched a deep place within her dad, strengthening his resolve and commitment. And consequently, he finished. You never know who just needs an encouraging word. Jesus is coming, He's still on the throne. You're prepared. He still loves you. Sometimes when people come to your mind, you ought to pray for them or maybe pick up the phone and call them. 
Holy Spirit might prompt you to do that. I have a very, very, very close boyhood friend. I guess really the only one I have from boyhood who's been through a very difficult experience because of some mistakes he made. I happened to be thinking about him yesterday. And so I picked up the phone and called him. Said, hey, I want to just check on you. He said, you've been talking to my wife? I said, no. I said, but I just had a feeling you needed a little encouragement. So I let him talk for a while and reminded him of God's promises, God's forgiveness, and God's forever love for him. Prayed for him over the phone. His whole attitude changed by the time we got off the phone. There are lots of people like that. And believe it or not, they're in this church. And I'll tell you this, no one in this room has it all together. And if they did, they would forget where they put it. (laughs) They just don't have it all together. And there are going to be times when you're going to be the one that's encouraging, and then there are times when you're thinking, I wonder if anybody cares. But just coming together reminds us we're not alone. We're on the same team. We're going home one day. And we really do want to take as many people with us as we can that come to Christ. Folks, these people that you don't like, who are whoever it might be in leadership, Can you imagine what their life would be if they came to know Jesus? Think about how you would be if you didn't know Jesus. And so we need to encourage one another, keep our eyes on him, and keep looking up. At least toward the east, (laughs) the eastern sky. One quick announcement. Next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday... I left it over there. Dr. D.L. Lowry is going to be teaching January Bible study on the epistles to John. The meal starts at 11.15. If you want to eat, it's $6. It goes from 11.15 to 12. Dr. Lowry will start teaching at noon, and he'll go until about 12.50, 12.45, So if you come during your lunch hour, uh, you can get back to work. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It will be live streamed. So if you can't come, you want to watch it from home, you can do that also. But that'll be next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday during the noon hour. If you can come a little early and get, get, get on through the lunch line, we'll come on through. Then those who come from work can grab their lunch and they can eat while they're listening to him teach. That'll be next week. I just wanted you to be aware of that. Thank you all for being here. This is the best group we've had this year. (laughs) And most of last year, too. (laughs) I'm always thrilled that you're here. And I always know there are a lot of people that are watching online. Let me pray for us, and then we'll go. By the way, I think the choir is going to be again practicing. They're practicing out here. And then there's a limit of how many are going to be. You see all the chairs spaced. So there's going to be a limit of how many can be in service or trying to be safe. There's, there's more, and more than one way to get this done. So if you want to be in the choir, they're going to spread out in here and practice. 
And then on Sunday, there'll be a limit of like 40, I think, 42, something like that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. And on a day when we just need to be reminded that you're coming again, you're still on the throne, and we can trust you. And so, Lord, as hard as it is sometimes to lift our spirits, so thank you for lifting our spirits to be reminded that we really belong to you and this isn't our home and that one day we're coming home to be with you. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to look around if somebody needs a friend just to to share an encouraging word with someone today. I thank you for these precious folks and, and how good it is to see them. I thank you for this family and the love that we can share and the fact that we really get to spend eternity together makes it even that much sweeter. I pray that you'll encourage folks, keep them safe. For those who've lost loved ones, you will comfort them and help those who are sick to get well. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come while you're going. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.